it's hard to break a moment like that. And um, that song has uh, become one of the songs that has really spoken to me over the last um, few years, or last, I don't know how long old it is now, I've forgotten, but um, just the tenacity of God. It's just, I don't, I don't know how to, when I, was, I knew we were going to sing this song, so I've thought about it, and, and I kept, and it's horrible to say in these moments, but I kept thinking about like, Jesus as like Liam Neeson and Taken, like he's got this specific set of skills. <laughs> he will find me, you know. <laughs> that's that's the end of the analogy. It doesn't go any better from there. But <laughs> but just this like this passionate like he is so dead set on finding us and and reaching to us. There's nothing that could stand in his way, nothing that will stand in his way. And, um, you know, I, I brought this stool up here, but I, I can't, I just can't sit down right now. Um, because this, this is the part of the, the Christmas story that so amazes me every single time, is that, and I, I kind of alluded to it there, that this, this God of the universe would, would not find anything that he would not do for us even to the point of letting go of everything he is and taking on the form of a baby. And babies are beautiful. We, I love that. We, they, we love them, but they do like horribly unbeautiful things. <laughs> and, um, but there's so much joy, there's so much promise, there's so much future, there's all this stuff there, but it comes along with all this mess that the God of the universe shouldn't have to deal with. But here he is, unable to walk, unable to speak. The God who spoke and everything gets created is unable to speak, unable to control himself, wrapped in claws, being held by a teenage girl and a boy who have no idea what's going on. They're in a cave, um, some sort of inn, some sort of manger, this, all this. I mean, come on. But God is this like this righteous, amazing warrior who will just kick down anything that could get in his way, even if it means he becomes this little baby. And... Um, Many of us have experienced this love of God in our own lives this way. Many of us, like, like Victor and Wanda said, you know, have been rescued um, by this love. And I, I've, I've experienced this in my own life at a crossroads in my faith. Um, God put some people into my life that, that really, they kicked down doors for me. And they brought me back into a place where I could find myself um, in a relationship with God again. And it was... It was tenuous at best at that moment. I was, I was not going to make that call without for these people in my life. And um, when I was thinking about this, this topic that we have about testifying to love and this unfettered love, my heart went to a group of, uh, a group of guys that um, it's been a long time since I've been in that, that place. But um, I had this friend uh, back... Gosh, it's been over 20 years ago now. His name is Terry. Sorry, I caught my wife's eye, and she knows this, what this means to me. 
So I might cry during this, okay, because this is, I'm just being honest with you, okay? This is like one of those moments in my life that um, was a, an anchor point. And that Terry um, was a guy that I met, and he, his life was, was, was semi-normal, I guess you would say, when we met him. Um, but before that, he had been a heroin addict. And he had left his family. He had bankrupted them. He left them alone and was living from drug house to drug house to drug house. And um, his wife, um, Adit, she, um, she went from house to house where she knew he might be until she found him. And she pulled him out of that house and took him to rehab and, and helped him get his life straightened out. So it's a beautiful story of love in that respect, in a marriage that is so faithful to this day in that way. And um, we had the privilege of having their kids in our youth group back in Virginia. And um, when they came to our church, uh, Terry quickly became one of the um, worship leaders at our church. He played guitar. He was really just kind of an abandoned worshiper kind of guy because he had, he had, he had been con- in, in contact with the love of God in a way that a lot of people haven't in that way. But um, I ended up playing bass on his band and his band at the church for a while and stuff like that. And and uh, somewhere along the line, Terry invited a guy named Daryl and I to, to go with him to this place called New Life Ranch. And New Life Ranch was a, um, a, a former farmhouse, and it's not really a former farmhouse because it was a farm, it was a working farm. But in this place was a, a ministry for men between 17 and 55 years old who had um, been addicted to heroin. And I'm talking about from guys who came off the street the day before to guys who had been there um, almost two years probably and living at this ranch. And I walked, um, I walked into this and they, they walked us through the house and showed us everything that was there. Um, men struggling to come down and to um, find some level of normalcy and we stopped to pray for them. And, and um, we made our way through the house and down this little stairwell into this basement where I'm, I'm guarantee you that the ceiling wasn't any higher than seven feet, which for somebody who's six foot four is not that far and makes you feel a little weird. Okay. So, um, but in that space, Daryl, um, Terry and I were going to lead worship for these men who were not in the step down area, but who had been there for a while. And I, to this day, have probably never seen a group of people give themselves in worship like this group of men that I saw that day. Um, completely, I, you know, I've used this word already, abandoned. And what I mean by that is that th- there was nothing in their life, in their, in their person of who they were, that they were willing to hold on to in this moment in light of the, the idea that they were standing in the presence of God. And there's no sound system worth anything. We brought little practice amps, you know, stupid stuff like that. There's no lights. There's a musty little basement. And these men have given everything they are in this moment. Um, singing horribly, but so beautifully at the same time. And these, these types of stories... Um, are more common than you might realize in a lot of places. Um, these type of stories and these type of people, these people who have experienced this loosening, this, 
this release that's happened in their hearts and in their, their lives from, from bondage, from addictions, from whatever it might be that has fettered them. And a fetter, you know, is this ancient word. It's not ancient word, really. It's ancient to us, but it's, you know, 19th century word, really, 1850s, used a lot. But this idea of being fettered, to be shackled, to be chained, to be handcuffed, you know. Jonathan Wade, our officer standing back there in the back, I, I almost asked him earlier if I could borrow his handcuffs, but I knew that wouldn't be right. He's, he's pulling them out right now. He's like, if you want them, I'll come. No, don't come cuff me, please. But... You know, I mean, it's just this idea of being just held together and, and shackled in that kind of way and bound up. And then, like these men, they, they were fettered to this darkness in their life until they met Jesus. So they met these other people who pulled them out of these places and brought them to New Life Ranch, and they found new life. And in the midst of that, sometimes we wonder how people get into these places of darkness and how they get to this this depth, and a lot of times we, um, we talk about it being one little choice and this kind of stuff and things like that, and that is true. By one choice here and then one step further and one step further and one step further, they find themselves in a place where they're, they're bound up like this. But it's not just folks who have these, these amazing stories that live in that type of, of connection. We all have these steps that we take into this, this bondage of what we have. And, it, and the problem is, is that we, we sometimes talk about the behaviors, but we don't talk about the root of where these things come from. And the fact is, is that the root of this stuff comes from this word that we don't like to talk about. It comes from fear. In our culture, it's something we, we tend to kind of label something different. We call it anxiety, because that feels a little bit more clinical. You know, what's interesting about anxiety is that um, one in five adults struggle with it. This is the statistic that I found. So one in five. Do you know that if you leave here today, there's a one in 73 chance that you will have a massive car accident? That's scary, right? That's the statistic on that one. We do all kinds of things to take care of that. No cell phones laws. We have seatbelt laws. We have speed limits. We have all... We talked about this the last time I talked, actually. But... We, we don't do much to take care of anxiety in our lives. But one in five of us has it. You know, and that's the clinical side of it. But we deal with fear all the time. And so, as we look at this, I, I went and found, I was just researching, and this guy named Dr. Robert Tybee of Psychology Today, he suggests that there are four types of fear that, that humanity deals with more than anything else. And these types of fears, and I, as you hear these, um, you're probably going to hear yourself. At least I did. I'll tell you that, at least. But um, these four things are, are not just something that just every once in a while people deal with. This is what humanity struggles with more than anything. The first one is abandonment. It's the fear of loss. It's the fear of being left behind. And either we lose somebody in our life, either through a relationship going um, a different direction, or we lose somebody to death in our life, and, and we feel this loss, we feel alone, we feel abandoned. Sometimes people just move on, and they move on without us. We don't understand it. 
We do all kinds of things to, to fill the void of this type of thing in our lives, and it leads to unhealthy actions, it leads to unhealthy relationships. Um, we posture ourselves in order to protect ourselves from other people around us, and we try to fill voids and soothe pain. And all these things happen because we're afraid that we're going to be abandoned in our life. The second one of these is the cousin of abandonment, but it's a little bit different. It's called rejection. And rejection has a different feel to it because it comes with, with judgment. It comes with unworthiness and a heavy dose of shame and criticism. And we're afraid that when, we, when we're rejected that people not only just will leave us behind and leave us and we lose something, but on top of it we are scarred and we are damaged in the, in the process. And this leads us to people-pleasing behavior, self-loathing a lot of times, where we're trying to do whatever we can to make people happy around us so that they won't reject us. The third thing, the third fear that we wrestle with is abuse, where abandonment and rejection are about pulling away from people. Abuse is like, is about being invaded by somebody else being controlled by them, being damaged by them. And fear of abuse makes us put up walls to protect ourselves and push other people out. The last of these is probably the one I hear about most as a youth pastor. It's failure. I don't know how many times I hear students... um, Talk about not wanting to disappoint other people. And we, we adults do it too, by the way, for the students that are in the room. Don't, don't get me wrong. I just hear from you guys more than I hear from your parents probably. But we're afraid that we won't measure up. And what's interesting about failure is because in our own hearts, the, the thing about failure is it's, it's, it's not a standard of somebody else. It's the standard that we set for ourselves because based upon what we think everybody else wants for us. So it may mean that nobody around us is, is trying to make us feel this way or have the standard for us, but we just think that this is what everybody requires, everybody thinks. And so inside our lives, we try our best to get to this level and to be at this place. And man, it's hard. And we're afraid that we're never going to make it to that spot. Now, I don't know if you guys heard yourself in there. I heard myself in there. I've been in a lot of those different places, maybe all of them at some point or another in my life. And these things, they, they're vicious. They are shackles. They hold us back, they hold us down, they hold in disease place. And the beautiful thing about Advent, about Christmas is, you know, last week in our Advent journey, we talked about hope. And this week we lit the candle of love representing just like we sang about God's reckless, his passionate, his unfettered love for us. So where we are fettered by this fear that we have in our lives, God's love is unfettered in this way. It's explosive. It's active. It kicks down walls. It calls out lies. It's no bounds, no limitations Throughout Scripture, we see God's love as the antithesis of fear. So 2 Timothy 2.7, these are, these are Scriptures you've probably heard before. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
Isaiah 43.1, don't fear, for I have called you by name. You are mine. I love it. I love it when God just looks at me and says, hey, listen, dude, I got you. You're mine. You belong to me, okay? And God stands opposed to fear with his love for us in every way. So as we think about the Christmas story, there's, there's a piece of scripture, and you heard a little tiny bit of it during, during Victor and Wanda's talk there, but um, it comes from uh, Luke chapter 1, and it's, it's a long, a little long piece, and it's not really that long, but it's about 10 or 11 verses of, of a hymn or a prophecy. This guy named Zechariah said. Now, Zechariah, he was a worker in the temple, and at some point, he's, he's actually married to Elizabeth, who is, is Mary the Virgin's cousin, okay? And, um, and so, Zechariah is working in the, in the temple, and he's chosen by Lot, which is interesting. You know, they, they, they cast lots to see who's going to go in and burn incense in the temple. And so he goes in to do this. He, he you know, wins the game, goes in there to do this. And um, while he's there, the angel Gabriel visits him. And um, I, I just don't know what it would be like to be in that situation. It just scares the bejesus out of me. I don't, I don't know what that would feel like or look like. Um, but Zacharias... Um, instance, and this is what we see in Scripture most of the time, is to fall, you know, flat and be afraid, and um, that's always what the angel says, do not be afraid, okay? I'm like, yeah, right, dude. Um, but um, the angel Gabriel begins to tell him that he's going to have a son, and that he, this son, will go before the Messiah, and he will do it in the spirit of Elijah, prophesying to bring people back to repentance, and that he will have this, this, these words to say to the community in this kind of way. And, and you know, Zechariah, he's standing in the presence of an angel, and he hears this prophecy, and he does the same thing that, like, that Abraham does, and he goes, hey, God, you know, or hey, angel, um, you know, I'm kind of old. So I'm not so sure that, you know, is this really real? And um, the angel says, it's one of these great things, I'm Angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Like, this is his, his resume. I'm the angel. I stand in the presence of God. Yes, it's real. And because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak until this baby is born. You'd be mute. And um, I, I don't know why God does this kind of stuff sometimes, but... You know, maybe angels do this kind of stuff, and this maybe not. You get, the angels get back, you know, in front of God. God's like, "What did you do?" And he's like, eh, "I made him. I made him mute." I don't know. I don't know how this works, you know. But God does stuff like this, and it's, you know, whatever. But he he's mute um, until the, the the moment when his son is born, and then eight days later they come and they're doing the the um, the circumcision and and they have to name him in these moments, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to name this baby. And uh, he writes on a piece of paper, his name is John, which wasn't part of his family's names or anything like that. When he writes that, his voice is opened and, um, because he's been obedient to God in that moment. And he says these words, which we're going to put up on the screen here for you. Um, there they are. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, 
to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, he's talking to John, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. As Zacharias says these things, it's like the first thing that comes out of his mouth. You think, man, this, this has been brewing for nine or ten months inside of him. Like, you know, why did I not believe? And then, like, obviously, I messed up. And now this is, what am I going to say in these moments? And then, bam, he says he's filled with the Spirit, and this comes from his voice. Let's take a moment, though, and think about and talk about what prophecy means in Scripture, because this is a prophecy. And prophecy is, is like a wave in scripture. It's spoken into a certain time, but it moves forward from that place out. And um, it, it's described a lot of times like a wave because it, it comes, comes in and out of, of being. And one example of this is, we hear this in Christmas all the time, is that uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, a virgin shall conceive in the womb and shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a prophecy of Isaiah. And it's, it was meant for the time of Isaiah. He was saying something to the people around him. And it, it might have been thought of sometimes it was the, the reign of Hezekiah because he was like God. He brought people back to God. And in those moments, it may have been the seat or the throne of David that was always going to be um, God with us in that way. But then as it ripples out through those different areas, because it could be Josiah, the great-grandson of Hezekiah, he brings another reform. These places that God is with us, but then it, it finds its ultimate meaning in Jesus Christ, that he has come, he is with us. And so these prophecies, they, they not only mean something in the moment they are said, obviously as this has been said here, but these, these prophecies, they mean something going forward from there. That's why we find them in Scripture, because they're still useful to us. They still speak to us. And so in this one, we see some really thing, amazing things that speak directly to the fears that we face. So in the face of abandonment, God is coming, in this case, he has already come for us to redeem us. Verse 68 said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. And so when we face this idea of being lost or losing or you know, somebody going off without us, we have a God who has come not only just from across the street, but like has come out of eternity and has found us. He has redeemed us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's chosen us. He's paid the price for us. We can't lose him. He can't walk away because he's conquered death. We're not abandoned by God. We are chosen and loved by him. In the face of rejection, we find rescue for those who have been our enemy, from those who have been our enemies. Verse 72 and 73, 74 says, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. 
those people that have damaged us, have rejected us, who have judged and put us in a place where we're, we're afraid, afraid of this moment in our lives. God has not only not abandoned us, but he has come to rescue us from our enemies, these people that would bring us to that place, these situations and societal norms that would bring us to the place where we felt rejected, and that fear can be conquered by him in those moments. In the face of abuse, the invasion into our lives, the control of other people, it says that he has come to enable us to serve him without fear. He's come to empower us to give us the gifts we need in order to stand free in service to him without any fear in our lives. And the beautiful part about that is he, he, he's come to involve us in what he does in this world. But he hasn't done that in a way that abuses us. He's done that in a way that empowers us. Yes, he asks us, to, to live for him in those ways, but he doesn't do that from an abusive standpoint. He does that from an enabling standpoint where he gives us the power we need in our lives to do that. And finally, in the face of failure, he has made us holy and he has made us righteous. Verses 74 and 75, he's enabled us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And in holiness, the wholeness of God He's given that to us. He's never lacking in that way in making us whole and giving us the things that we need to operate in the world and to not feel like we're less than what we, we need, to be righteous, to be in right standing with him, to not have to struggle to understand whether we, we meet up to what we're supposed to be, all this kind of thing, because it's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done for us. He's made us righteous. He's given us right standing with God. Failure isn't our problem because he's the one who makes us right. He's already won a victory. He's already done. So in this face of fear, and then at the end of this, this beautiful statement for all of us, this hope that we have, all of this because this rising sun, the Messiah was coming, has come into the world to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This is the unfettered love of God. Where fear can rule our lives and take from us the joy and the belonging and the connection in our lives. God's love comes in, his perfect love comes in and casts out that fear. And we can experience his grace, we can experience his mercy, we can experience his, his rescue, his redemption, his empowering, the holiness and righteousness that comes from him. So when I think back on these men at that ranch. It's why my heart skips for just a moment. Because I know the darkness that they felt in their life was something beyond, oh man, I can't even, I can't even imagine. But to watch them in those moments, to see what it meant to have this fear removed from their life, 
to be able to stand there whole when they had been so broken. Man, if there was, if there was any failure that they could have, you know, any standard that they had for themselves, they had, they had missed them. You know, they had been abandoned. They had been rejected. They had been abused. They had failed. And God had redeemed them. And they grasped it with everything that they had. And I so desire in my own life, and I so desire for all of us to be able to grasp this love that God has from us, that breaks chains, that sets us free, that gives us life. And for that as well to become what we, we bring to a community around us. That we would understand the pain of people that we would not ignore it, that we would see people where they are, and that we would be ministers of reconciliation. This is what the scripture tells us, that we would be able to reconcile people with God, to tell them you don't have anything to be afraid of. In fact, quite opposite. So I don't know where everybody in the room came in today. I know that um, the things that we talked about in fear are real. And so we have pads to make it as comfortable as we can at an altar for you. But altars are places where you come to do business with God. And in those moments, we have... Um, the opportunity to allow God to do some exchanges with us. To set aside the fear that we might be living by and to give ourselves the chance, the hope in his love that he could change our circumstance. In Luke chapter 3, the, John the Baptist is, is talked of him. He said he was the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So I don't know how crooked your path is right now or how high the mountain is that you feel like you've got to come, how far in the valley that you might feel you may need to be, but God has made a way to flatten the ground and to straighten our path so that we might experience his grace and his love this morning. Let me pray for you guys. And, and um, as this last song plays to, um, and the band comes forward, um, I just want to encourage you guys to, to spend time with God in these moments and in Christmas to allow your hearts to be healed by him. Father, this morning we thank you for an opportunity. God, I thank you for the men at New Life Ranch. I thank you for the leaders who offered them a spot and a place where they could find your love and cast out their fear. God, I know we all deal with abandonment and rejection and abuse and failure. But God, your love is so perfect. And these fears that we might have, these anxieties that, that can tend to rule our lives can be removed or, or set, we can be set free from them because of your love. 
And God, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to walk with you daily, and to know that sometimes it doesn't happen overnight, and sometimes it, it takes a long time, and sometimes we have to work through it. It's not immediate, but God, you are faithful to us. God, help us to trust you and your faithfulness in that way. God, we give you the rest of this day. We give you the rest of this season, Lord. Help us to, to be a light like you have been in our lives that shines into our community, that shines into our world and allows them to see and know that you are good. God, we thank you for your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name.